you're listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So lately I've been thinking a lot about climbing mountains, partly because both of tonight's readings take place on mountains, but mostly because at the end of April I'll be traveling back to Spain to walk the Camino Santiago, the ancient pilgrimage route that people have been walking since about the 9th century. The Camino begins when you step out your front door with intention and ends at the supposed burial place of the James who features in today's Gospel reading. And the Camino contains a lot of mountains. People sometimes ask me how I'm training for the walk, and I laugh because how on earth do you train to walk huge mountains in 30-plus degree weather in Manitoba in February? I mean, where could you possibly go to simulate those conditions? You can't. Having climbed a few mountains in my life now, I've learned some things about them. First, unlike most kindergarten drawings will tell you, mountains aren't giant triangles where you go straight up one side and then straight back down the other. Mountains are more complicated than that. It's not uncommon that in order to climb up a mountain, you have to go up a little bit and then down a little bit, and then up a little bit and then down a little bit, switching back and forth gradually until you reach the top. And while you're doing that, you often have no idea how far you've gone. It's rare to be able to actually see the top of a mountain as you are climbing because trees or fog or simply the scale of the endeavor obscures your view. I once climbed a mountain in Banff in foggy conditions and the only reason I knew I had made it to the top was because Parks Canada had posted a sign that said so and there was a gift shop. Today's gospel reading begins Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain. So immediately, I want to know what happened six days earlier. Six days earlier, Jesus explained to his disciples that he was going to go to Jerusalem, where he would suffer, die, and then three days later come back to life. And if they really wanted to follow him, the disciples are going to have to pick up a cross and be prepared to die as well. This revelation was so startling and unsettling that the gospel tells us that Peter rebuked Jesus for suggesting such a thing was possible, and Jesus responded with equal force, saying to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. That's what happened six days before today's story. That's a lot of information for the disciples to take in, and a lot of complicated emotions to sort through and process. Relationships don't often bounce back from a sharp rebuke like, get behind me, Satan. At bare minimum, things would be really awkward for quite some time. So I imagine that things are feeling pretty tense and pretty heavy as the four men begin to climb that mountain. They're carrying a lot more than just whatever the Bible Times equivalent of a backpack would have been. What you carry determines how you walk. And this is true in all aspects of life. Your gait changes if you're carrying a football, or a baby, or a full bowl of hot soup, or disappointing news. In fact, not just what you're carrying, but how you carry it can make a big difference. 
If you're climbing a mountain, it's easier to carry a heavy weight on your back than in your hands. It's also easier if that weight is evenly distributed, if you don't have something sharp poking into the small of your back. And it's even easier if the weight is consistent. I once put an orange in my bag in the morning and spent most of the afternoon marveling at how much easier it was to walk after I'd eaten the orange at lunch. An orange. Wednesday marks the beginning of Lent, and Lent is a really good season to reflect on all the things you carry every day. Sometimes people use the season of Lent to let something go, to stop carrying something they normally hold on to. It could be chocolate or coffee, but it also could be a particular habit or an attitude. One year I did give up going to Starbucks, not coffee entirely, no one wants to see me do that, just Starbucks. And I was surprised to discover how I gradually and unthinkingly had formed these patterns of moving through the day that included stopping at Starbucks, whether I really wanted a latte or not. And I had to give it up to notice that. And then when Lent was over, I did start going back to Starbucks, but nowhere near as often. Sometimes people use the season of Lent to pick something up they don't normally carry. It might be collecting money for a charity or adopting a new prayer practice. A few years ago, I decided to pick up reading the rule of Benedict over Lent, and as this is the third year in a row I plan to do that, I guess it's now a tradition. What are you carrying? Is there something you need to put down or pick up or rearrange a little bit? Lent can be a great opportunity to do just that. The disciples are carrying a lot of heavy feelings as they climb that mountain, and when they finally arrive at the top, Matthew tells us that Jesus was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now as a quick biblical refresher, Moses and Elijah died a long time before this story took place. Or actually, Moses died a long time before this story took place. Elijah didn't die at all. He rode straight into heaven in a horse-driven chariot made of fire, but that's a story for another day. Moses and Elijah are not the disciples' contemporaries. They're heroes from the past, men they've read stories about, more symbols than people. Their presence alone would have been disorienting. So the disciples climbed the mountain, feeling out of sorts, And now they're witnessing a conversation between two men from the history books and Jesus looking nothing like the Jesus they are used to. Jesus with a face shining like the sun and clothes that are dazzling white. Which seems scary and disorienting to me, and I think I'd be tempted to say, all right, I'm out, and start right back down the mountain on my own, or perhaps cower in fear behind a bush. But that is not how the disciples react. Peter says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Peter looks around at what is happening and he declares that it is good. So good, in fact, that he offers to make three dwellings, one each for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Or at least, he starts to make this offer because we're told that he doesn't even get to finish his thought. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now the disciples are afraid, overcome by fear, actually, and they fall to the ground. 
The disciples are face down on the ground, quaking in fear, having just heard God say that they should listen to Jesus. And what is the first thing they hear Jesus say? Get up and do not be afraid. But Jesus doesn't stand at a distance, shouting at them to smarten up and stop being so afraid. No, Jesus approaches them, gets close enough that he actually can touch them, and says, get up and do not be afraid. Before they heard his words, they felt his reassuring touch, and they do as they're told. Sometimes the gospel writers casually slip in these amazing little details that are so easy to miss. Jesus touched them. He saw they were afraid. He came right up beside them, touched them, proved he was real, and said, get up and do not be afraid. That's beautiful. Now I want to invite you to engage in a little speculative imagining with me. I don't think that the disciples were focusing on the beautiful scenery that surrounded them as they climbed that mountain. Rather, I suspect they were focusing on trying to wrap their heads around everything Jesus had told them, or perhaps on how uncomfortable a situation this was, or maybe even how to try and make it a little more comfortable. When they arrived at the mountaintop, I don't think it was the panoramic view that held their attention. Rather, I suspect they were so focused on the amazing sight of Jesus transformed and the two men who joined him that that was all they could see. And when God came and spoke declaring Jesus was beloved, I think they focused on the dirt at their feet as they fell to the ground. If their eyes were open at all, the dirt was all they could see. But now, after having seen all the things they have seen, and experiencing Jesus' gentle touch and reassurance that they do not have to be afraid, I wonder if they were able to finally stand up, look out, and take in the view. Which is something I want us all to do tonight together as well. Jesus and the disciples will not stay on the mountaintop. They'll walk down the mountain and continue walking until they reach Jerusalem. The things Jesus said would happen will indeed happen. He will die. And we've been invited to come down the mountain and walk alongside. Lent is a season where we remember and focus on difficult things. Beginning on Ash Wednesday with a reminder that we are all dust and to dust we will all return, we're entering a desert season, moving us closer to Christ's death on a cross. But before we leave the mountain and enter the wilderness, Let's take a look at all we can see from the top of the mountain. Because from here we can see the entire story. From here we can see Jesus resurrected on Easter Sunday. From here we can see that Christ's glorious transformation on this particular mountaintop is not the end of the story. It's only a part of the story. So stop. Take it all in. And when you're ready, take a deep breath and begin to climb back down the mountain into Lent. And know that when you do, Jesus is walking right beside you. In the name of our God who creates, redeems, and sustains. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.